This is the 30th episode of Kimchi Slaps by Your Funny on Me, where I tell you what slaps for the week. Y'all, I am so, so, so... Okay, I'm not going to say sorry because it's 2023. I want to start off with positive vibes. So happy 2023 and thank you for still being here if you listen to this podcast. I cannot know how many people are out there listening because <laughs> I'm not I'm not um, completely sure how the podcast analytics work. I'm not a tech savvy person and so it gives me like info and I'm just like I don't know what any of this means. I, I know that there is a pocket full of audience. Actually, let me look. Let me look. I think it tries to tell me and I still like it. it, it the what do you call it the analytics seem vague to me or I don't even I don't know okay it says audience size five <laughs> so there's five people that are my regular I think audience but what I don't understand okay okay see this is where I get confused it says audience size is five okay that means the number of distinct wait 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 okay but then plays per episode. There's 33 plays per episode. How can that be? Five people aren't listening to it 33 times. Anyways, whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I do this to put good out into the world. If it reaches even one person, I should be happy and thankful. Because anybody that is willing to listen to this voice, <laughs> and I know... I don't know if I told you guys, I actually hate, uh, like, my just, like, telephone voice, which is what I imagine my podcast voice is probably, you know, it's that, because um, I have this, uh, like, nasally sound, I feel, whatever. I think it would be great for, I would love to do voice work as a villain in, <laughs> as a villain in, um, uh, you know kids cartoon shows who should I hit up about that you know who I'm friends with on TikTok Dan Pulvermeyer maybe I should be like hey <laughs> anyways listen let's get back to the heart of what this podcast is about uh 2023 we are gonna get to know this book well so you want to talk about race we are hitting up chapter two this is where we get into the thick of things, okay? Chapter two, what is racism? It was an argument with a coworker that started where many arguments with coworkers start nowadays on the internet. The coworker had posted a meme about how poor people should be given drug tests if they want to get welfare benefits. You know, the kind of post I'm talking about, one that sends a message like, if I need a drug test to get a hardworking job, you should have one to get the free stuff my hardworking tax dollars are paying for. Ugh. That sentiment. And you know what's sad about that? Is this sentiment is actually pretty common, common among BIPOC folks, too. It's not just a white people thing. And it sucks because within our own communities, we, uh, we've been fed these lies. And uh, may to like hate on those that are struggling 
as if and, and this is and I'm talking about this in the sense that this was like my mother um she prided herself on being this hard-working immigrant and looked down on be like oh I would never be on welfare I'm a hard-working nobody will shame me that way and it's like it's not shame to live in a country where you are disadvantaged so in such a like little way in a way that makes such a deep impact on how you can feed your family you know and it's so sad because my parents are the epitome of having bought into the whole model minority myth. And, but there's so many like them. Like, they prided themselves on being such hardworking immigrants to the point that they lost their livelihoods. And was that worth it? And we have such a broken, severed family because of their struggles. That was the price. Anyways, let me continue. I have seen these memes countless times and they are never anything less than a gut punch to me. I pointed out that as someone who had grown up on welfare and was subjected, subjected to this attitude her entire childhood, this sort of stigmatization really hurts poor people who are just trying to survive. Poor people shouldn't have to prove how much they deserve to have a roof over their heads and feed their children. There are a few ways to react when somebody tells you that your language is unintentionally hurting them. And while I was hoping for a quick apology or maybe just a quick correction, my coworker decided to double down on her claims. Of course, that's such, that is the go-to uh, reaction, doubling down. Back to the reading. And add that she thought poor people should be sterilized Oh my God, because a lot of women take advantage of the system by having more kids to get more money. Suddenly, it was like I was on a TV talk show circa 1984 talking about welfare queens. I honestly didn't think that people really believed that myth anymore. Oh, this myth is so alive and well, and it's 20 freaking 23, right? A myth that was used to dehumanize a generation of welfare recipients, and as someone who wouldn't have existed had there been forced sterilization of poor people, I took offense to this comment. In addition, as someone aware of our country's racist history of forced sterilization of women of color, I knew how dangerous statements like these can be. The discussion became heated quite quickly as my coworker tried to both state that she had not intended to offend me or my brother, who also worked at the same company and was witnessing this argument online, but maybe I needed to be less angry because this was why people like me got a bad reputation. No, quote unquote, people like you is a good warning that a conversation is about to head into a pretty racist territory every single fucking time. <laughs> people like you. That is, that is not even a red flag. That is a direct attack. Um... Shit got pretty intense. Black on black crime was even brought up, I believe, and an entire evening was dedicated to an emotionally draining and ultimately fruitless conversation. Yes, fruitless. I, it literally goes nowhere. A lot of these things that get started, right? 
The next day, I was talking to a friend about the incident. I was still very upset about what had happened the night before. Believe it or not, I, like most people, really do just want to live in peace and not have a four-hour-long argument about race and poverty on the internet. And it is always a bit of a gut punch to realize that someone you have been sitting next to for months or even years secretly harbors views that deny your basic humanity as a black woman. No matter how many times it happens, I have to get used to it. It's really difficult to realize that you've been sitting next to someone capable of racism like that. I explained over coffee. Whoa, 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 Ijeoma, my friend interrupted, literally putting a hand up to stop me from speaking further. Let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Excuse me? I asked, stunned and confused. You can't go around calling anything racist. Save that word for the big stuff. You know, for Nazis and cross burnings and lynchings, you're just going to turn people off if you use such inflammatory language. Ooh, boy, have I heard that before. You call everything racist. Every single day. That's right up on there in the daily comments I get, along with you eat dog. Yep. You call everything racist. That's every single day I get that comment. Back to reading. I really, really wanted this to just be a matter of misunderstanding. I really wanted this to be a case where perhaps he just didn't know how harmful everyday racism is. And once he did, he would change his mind. I tried to explain the real danger of unchecked racism and microaggressions to people of color, but he wasn't going to hear it. There was, quote unquote, real racism, as he defined it, which was a post-reconstruction era horror type of racism. And there was whatever I was talking about which he wasn't comfortable categorizing, but he was pretty sure it wasn't that big of a deal. The day-to-day -day reminders that I'm less than and that I should just learn to get over or find a more pleasant way to confront. He went on to discuss how his grandma, for example, said some racist things, but she was a kind, kind person and it would be cruel to call a harmless old lady racist and would make her more racist. It seemed far more important to him that the white people who are spreading and upholding racism be spared the effects of being called racist. Word. Oh my God, I hate this energy so much. It's so true. Then sparking his, then spa sparing his black friend the effects of that racism. This is so on point, right? Because why are we having to coddle white people and protect their belief that they're not racist, that they can't be racist because they're not outright racist. You know what I mean? Why is that the priority and not the fact that we are getting cut down everywhere we turn? That's our daily existence. Okay, back to eating. No matter what I said, no matter how I describe the effects that this sort of racism had on me and other people of color, he was not going to accept me using the word racist to describe it. That was when I learned that this was not a friend I could talk to about this really important part of my life. I couldn't be my full self around him and he would never truly have my back. He was not safe. I wasn't angry. I was heartbroken. We couldn't talk about the ways in which race and racism impacted my life because he was unwilling to even acknowledge the racism that was impacting my life and he was unable to prioritize my safety over his comfort, which meant that we couldn't talk about me. Probably 
one of the most telling signs that we have problems talking about race in America is the fact that we can't even agree on what the definition of racism actually is. Look at almost any discussion of race and racism online and you'll see an argument pop up over who is racist, who isn't, and who has the right to claim they are suffering from racism. The most common definition of racism in my own summation are as follows. One, racism is any prejudice against someone because of their race. Two, racism is any prejudice against someone because of their race when those views are reinforced by system of power. While those two definitions are very close to each other in many ways, the differences between these two definitions of racism drastically changes how you look at and address racism in America. For the purpose of this book, I'm going to use the second definition of racism, a prejudice against someone based on race, when those prejudices are reinforced by system of power. And this is a definition I recommend you use in your day-to-day -day life if your goal is to reduce the systemic harm done to people of color by racism in America. Let me explain why. When we use only the first definition of racism as any prejudices against someone based on race, we inaccurately reduce issues of race in America to a battle for the hearts and minds of individual racists. Instead of seeing racist, racist behaviors, and racial oppression as part of a larger system. There are a lot of individual unapologetic racists out there. They're easy to spot. They're people sharing the Obama equals monkey memes. They are the people sewing swastikas to their jackets and take, talking about white genocide. This book is not for them and they are not my primary concern. This book will not tell you how to get unabashed racists to love people of color. I'm not a magician. Furthermore, Many of those people have very little real power on their own and tend to stay on the fringe of society. We as a society like our racism subtler than that. What special power virulent racists do have can often be thwarted by just staying away from wherever you see Obama is a Muslim signs. What is important is that the imp impotent hatred of the virulent racist was built and nurtured by a system that has much more insidiously woven a quieter, yet no less violent version of the same oppressive beliefs into the fabric of our society. The truth is, you don't even have to be quote unquote racist to be part of the racist system. The dude shouting about black on black crime is reinforced by elected officials coding problem neighborhoods and promising to quote unquote clean up the streets that surprisingly always seem to have a lot of brown and black people on them and in with a lot of black and brown people in handcuffs. Your aunt yelling about quote unquote thugs is echoed in our politicians talking about quote unquote super predators while building our school to prison pipelines that help ensure that the widest path available to black and brown children ends in a jail cell. But a lot of the vo people voting for stop and frisk crime bills or increased security in schools would never dream of blaming racial inequity on black on black crime or calling a young black man a thug. In contrast, a lot of the racists holding white power signs aren't even registered to vote. It's the system and our complacency in that system that gives racism its power, not individual intent. Without that white supremacist system, we just have a bunch of assholes yelling at each other on a pretty even playing field and may the best yeller win. 
but there is no even playing field right now. Over 400 years of systemic oppression have set large groups of racial minorities at a distinct power disadvantage. If I call a white person a cracker, the worst I can do is ruin their day. If a white person thinks I'm an N-word, the worst they can do is get me fired, arrested, or even killed in a system that thinks the same and has the resources to act on it. Looking beyond the difference and impact of these two definitions of racism, how we define racism also determines how we battle it. If we have a cancer and it makes us vomit, we can commit to battling nausea and say we're fighting for our lives, even though the tumor will likely still kill us. When we look at racism simply as, quote unquote, any racial prejudice, we are entered into a battle to win over the hearts and minds of everyone we encounter, fighting only the symptoms of the cancerous system, not the cancer itself. This is not only an impossible task, it's a pretty useless one. Getting my neighbor to love people of color might make it easier to hang around him, but it won't do anything to combat police brutality, racial income inequality, food, food deserts, or the prison industrial complex. Further, this approach puts the onus on me, the person being discriminated against, to prove my humanity and worthiness of equality to those who think I'm less than. But so much of what we think and feel about people of other races it is dictated by our system and not our hearts. Who we see as successful, who has access to that success, who we see as scary, what traits we value in society, who we see as quote-unquote smart and quote-unquote beautiful. These perceptions are determined by our proximity to the cultural values of the majority in power the economic system of those in power, the education system of those in power, the media outlets of those in power. I could go on, but at no point will you find me laying blame at the feet of one misguided or even hateful white person saying, and this is Steve's fault. Core beliefs about black people are all determined by Steve over there who just decided he hates black people all on his own. Steve is interacting with the system in the way in which it's designed. And the end result is racial bigotry that supports the continued oppression of people of color. Systemic racism is a machine that runs whether we pull the levers or not. And by just letting it be, we are responsible for what it produces. We have to actually dismantle the machine if we want to make a change. So a good question to ask yourself right now is, why are you here? Did you pick up this book with the ultimate goal of getting people to be nicer to each other? Did you pick up this book with the goal of making more friends of different races? Or did you pick up this book with the goal of helping fight a system of oppression that is literally killing people of color? Because if you insist on holding to a definition of racism that reduces it itself to any time somebody is mean to somebody of a different race, then this is not the book to accomplish your goals. And those are real and noble goals when we call them what they are. We really should be more kind to each other. But when I look at what is putting me and millions of other people of color at risk, a lack of niceness from white people towards me and people who look like me is very far down the list of priorities. However, if you came with the second intention to fight the systemic oppression that is harming the lives of millions of people of color, then you are who I have written this book for. But either way, I encourage you to keep reading. reading, Because understanding the truth about racism in America might help you make more friends of different races too. And they have a better chance 
of being real friends who will feel safe with you. If you are not yet convinced that the definition of racism as racial prejudice backed by systems of power is the one to go with, I'm fairly confident that the rest of this chapter in this book will do the trick. When reading the subsequent chapters, remember that the concepts and issues discussed in this book were not born from the other, nor are these racial oppressions the work of a bunch of random white people waking up each morning and saying to themselves, today I will do what I can to oppress a person of color, coalescing into the creation of society with the racial disparities of socioeconomic well-being so large and entrenched that they trap multiple generations in the same expectations of success or failure. We live in a society where race is one of the biggest indicators of your success in life. There are sizable racial divides in wealth, health, life expectancy, infant mortality, incarceration rates, and so much more. We cannot look at a society where racial inequity is so universal and longstanding and say, this is all in the doing of a few individuals with hate in their hearts. It just doesn't make sense. We cannot fix these systemic issues on a purely emotional basis. We must see the whole picture. How do you fix the school to prison pipeline on an emotional basis? How do you fix an economic system that values the work done traditionally by white males over that done by women and people of color on an emotional basis? How do you change an education system tailored almost exclusively to the experiences, history, and goals of white families on an emotional basis? How do you address an overwhelmingly white system of government on an emotional basis? We can get every person in America to feel nothing but love for people of color in their hearts. And if our systems aren't acknowledged and changed, it will bring negligible benefits to the lives of people of color. Furthermore, ignoring the factor of institutional support of racial bias as a component of racism means that we erase the real harm done by that institutional support. When we say, quote unquote, all racial prejudice is equally harmful, we are denying a large portion of the harm done to people of color and cutting ourselves off from opportunities to repair that harm. But when we acknowledge racism as part of a system, instead of being limited to our ability to win over racists, we can instead focus on how our actions interact with systemic racism. No, the problem isn't just that a white person may think black people are lazy and that hurts people's feelings. It's that the belief that black people are lazy reinforces and is reinforced by a general dialogue that believes the same and uses that belief to justify not hiring black people for jobs, denying black people housing, and discriminating against black people in schools. We have to remember that racism was designed to support an economic and social system for those at the very top. This was never motivated by hatred of people of color, and the goal was never in and of, of itself simply the subjugation of people of color. The ultimate goal of racism was the profit and comfort of the white race, specifically of rich white men. The oppression of people of color was an easy way to get this wealth and power, and racism was a good way to justify it. This is not about sentiment beyond the ways in which our sentiment is manipulated to maintain an unjust system of power. And our emotions, ignorance, fear, and hate have been easily manipulated to feed the system of white supremacy. And we have to address all of this, our emotions, our ignorance, our fear, and our hate. But we cannot ignore the system that takes all of that magnifies it, 
and uses it to crush the lives and liberty of people of color to enrich the most privileged of white society. While all of the above may make sense as you are reading it now, I understand that it does little to help in conversations where people are entrenched in their definition of racism that does not consider system of power. So how do you move forward in a discussion of race when accusations of quote-unquote reverse racism and quote-unquote racism against whites start flying? First of all, understand that this is almost always a defensive reaction to feelings of fear or guilt or confusion. This is an attempt to either move conversation to a place where the person you are talking to is more comfortable or to end the conversation completely. Consider restating your intention and engaging in this conversation and ask the person you are talking to to confirm what they are talking about. I am talking about issues of systemic racism, which is measurably impacting to the health, wealth, and safety of millions of people of color. What are you talking about right now? Often, if somebody is just trying to use quote-unquote reverse racism arguments to shut you down, this is where they will just repeat themselves or claim that you are a hypocrite if you will not shift the conversation instead to the grievances against them that they just decided to bring up. If this happens, it is pretty obvious that you aren't actually having a conversation, and it is probably best to walk away and maybe try again later if productive conversation is actually your goal. But if somebody does want a productive conversation and genuinely believes that being called cracker is the same as being called the n-word and feels angry and invalidated by the insistence that both do not meet your definition of racism, they will say so. This is an educational opportunity. This is a great way to let that person know that you do hear them and that your experiences do not erase theirs because even though their experience is a valid, it is different experience. A response I've used is, what was said to you wasn't okay and should be addressed, but are we talking about two, we, but we are talking about two different things. Being called cracker hurts, may even be humiliating, but after those feelings fade, what measurable impact will it have on your life? on your ability to walk the street safely, on your ability to get a job? How often has the word cracker been used to deny you services? What measurable impact has this word on the lives of white Americans in general? In all honesty, from my personal experience, you are still not likely to get very far in that conversation, not right away, but it gives people something to think about. These conversations, even if they seem fruitless at first, can plant a seed to greater understanding. If you want to further understanding of systemic racism, even more among the people you interact with, you can try to link the systemic effects of racism whenever you talk about racism. Instead of posting on Facebook, this teacher shouted a racial slur at a Hispanic kid and should be fired, you can say all that and then add, this behavior is linked to the increased suspension, expulsion, and detention of Hispanic youth in our schools and sets an example of behavior for the children witnessing the, the, this teacher's racism that will influence the way those children are treated by their peers and how they are treated as adults. I do this often when I'm talking about racism and pretty regularly somebody will comment with something like, that's an aspect of the situation I hadn't considered, thank you. If you hear someone at the water cooler say, black people are always late, you can definitely say, hey, that's racist, but you can also add, and it contributes to false beliefs about black workers that keeps them from even being interviewed for jobs, while white workers can be late or on time, but will always be judged individually with no risk of damaging job prospects for other white people seeking employment. 
that also makes it less likely that someone will brush you off saying, hey, it's not that big of a deal. Don't be so sensitive. Tying racism to its systemic causes and effects will help others see the important difference between systemic racism and anti-white bigotry. In addition, the more practice you have at tying individual racism to the system that gives it power, the more you will be able to see all the ways in which you can make a difference. Yes, you can demand that the teacher shouting racial slurs at Hispanic kids should be fired, but you can also ask what the, that school suspension rate for Hispanic kids is, ask how many teachers of color they have on staff, and ask that their policies be reviewed and re reformed. Yes, you can definitely report your racist coworker to HR, but you can also ask your company management what processes they have in place to minimize racial bias in their hiring process. You can ask for more diversity in management and cultural sensitivity training for staff. And you can ask what procedures they have in place to handle allegations of racial discrimination. When we look at racism as a system, it, it becomes much larger and more complicated than it's seen before. But there is also more opportunity to address the various parts of it. And that is what the rest of this book attempts to, at least begin to, chapter by chapter. So now that we know what racism is, let's get to work. Woo! This book got me heated, y'all. It's, it's so real. Um, and I think that's something I need to work on instead of going back and forth with the people, you know? Because actually I have been better. I just block them now because <laughs> they're a waste of my breath, right? We need to have an effect on the systemic level for the betterment of us all. But it, I do think it is connected. You know, um, when you recognize that your feelings towards a person based on their race is tied and linked and um, rooted in a systemic power, that once that realization clicks, I think there is room for growth. So I get accused of hating all white people. And those of you that actually know me, you know that's not true. <laughs> I have this joke, like one of my best friends is a six foot two white man of Scottish descent. <laughs> it's true though, it really is. And um, it's just hard to get to that level in a TikTok. But I think in 2023, uh, for me personally, my goal will be to show that link more and, and you know, block out the noise. When you know a conversation is gonna go nowhere, it's, it's good for your mental health and it's a wise choice to walk away. And I'm going to do that more this year. I'm going to, one of um, the podcasts that I listen to is Jay Shetty's and I love 
the dialogue he has. And recently I listened to one with him and um, Russell Brand. And the highest um, quality that a person can have for their own happiness or their own truth is discernment. And I thought that was really, um, it really lingered in my mind because the biggest struggle I have is trusting my discernment. And I'm going to be in 2023. I think I've earned the right to say my, to myself with my struggles and with where I've been, you can trust your own judgment. Like I have time and time again shown that I care about people and things that matter. So I'm going to lean into that this year because I truly care about people and I will say that's a gift that I have and I'm going to be proud of that this year. So thank you all for um, following me on this journey uh, and reading and listening to a book that will hopefully better your life as it has bettered mine. That's what I want to share. <laughs> Lots of love. Yay, 30th episode and first episode of 2023. Whitey, we got this.